Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in the upstate of South Carolina. And I am your host, as always, Stan McCune, realtor right here in the Greenville area. Uh, and as always, you can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any reason, for any of your real estate needs. That is the way to reach me. If you don't hear from me, like if you reach out and you don't hear from me, something is wrong, your email went into spam or, or the text didn't go through or something, I always respond to people in timely fashion. So just keep that in mind. Um, but you can reach out to me however you want to, email, text, phone call, Facebook message, Instagram message. I don't recommend those options as much, but hey, it all works. Whatever you need to do, I can work with it. I'm flexible. Um, and just a reminder as always, please leave a rating and a review if you love the show. Subscribe, download episodes, do all of those things to help promote the show, get it out there. I've I've been really impressed with, um, with how many people are just kind of discovering the show uh, without me really ever advertising it. Like, I don't hardly ever put on my social media uh, that I do the show. I don't have anything on, you know, like LinkedIn or, or any of my profile, even my email signature that I do this show, but people keep finding it, and I think that's great, and I appreciate any ways that you guys can help out uh, to keep that going. Um, all right, today we're going to do kind of a successor or a part two episode uh, from episode 72. So you might want to go back and listen to episode 72 if you want to. It's a 26-minute or close to a 27-minute episode uh, entitled Takeaways from a 15-Unit Transaction. This is going to be uh, the actual takeaways. Uh, you know, I had to I had to word that a, a certain way. Um, you know, it made it sound like it was a 15-unit closing that actually got to closing it did not actually get to closing unfortunately at that time i thought it was going to um it didn't it fell through and so um i have actually i mean how long ago is that uh, i do one of these every week uh that was months ago that i recorded that episode to this day i still haven't sold all of those condos uh that were in that 15 unit package but i'm gonna explain now what happened, what the story was behind it. You guys get a little peek behind the veil of what my life is like as a realtor. Um, and in the process, you'll learn a little bit about real estate investing, particularly condos and how all of this uh, works and some of the challenges that there can be with real estate investing uh, at times. So just a, a reminder. So I had a package of 15 condos in a broader community that had about 100 condos total in it. Um, and my 15-unit package was unique in a lot of different ways. These condos were not contiguous, so they were spread out throughout the community. There were multiple sellers, so there were four different sellers. And and the way I, I got this package together is because I owned some of the units. I owned four units in, in, uh, in its entirety. And then another three units I owned with some partners. And because of that, I then was also connected to uh, to the board, to various other owners in the community. So when I decided to sell the seven that I owned wholly or in part, I reached out to a few other uh, sellers in the community that I knew to see 
um, other owners in the community to see, hey, is there any interest in selling? I'm selling. I think that there will be interest in a big package of these things because there's a lot of people looking uh, looking to buy a, a package of, of housing. And there's a lot of money being slung around right now in Greenville in real estate. And uh, sure enough, there was interest. Um, I was able to get eight other units from a couple of other different sellers. And so we put it together as one big 15-unit listing. All right, that's a little bit of a summary of that podcast. I went into a whole lot more detail in there. Um, But we got a ton of interest in those 15 units. I mean, my phone, my email, it was all blowing up. It was great. I was excited. We immediately got under contract with a cash buyer. The cash buyer did not work out. The cash buyer totally, uh, totally fell through, um, totally just ghosted us, actually. And guess what? We actually got his earnest money back. I mean, that doesn't, um, that doesn't happen every day. There are so many ways that a buyer can can recuperate their earnest money, but that buyer, because he dragged us out until the very end and then just ghosted us, he lost his earnest money. So, uh, so we got that. We got the earnest money. Um, then we got a back under contract, um, with another buyer and, and this buyer, I had some connections to him, um, via someone else that is local, but the buyer himself was out of state, was in California and he was squeaky clean, an attorney, plenty of money in the bank, uh, plenty of banking relationships, and I didn't see that there would be any scenario where he wouldn't be able to get to closing. Um, and I have tons of, obviously, my own banking relationships and, and lenders, people that can, that'll do favors for me and whatnot. And uh, I really thought we were going to be able to, to work something out with this guy. Um, unfortunately, it fell through again, a second time with this guy. And this time it was the financing that fell through. He was, he was trying to finance them. And this became a big problem for trying to move these condos. What I learned, I never fully understood all of the, all of the challenges behind trying to finance these because when I purchased them, I did not personally have any problem financing my condos, but I went with a local bank. Um, I uh, have a few different banks that I that I work with locally, um, and they can get stuff done that you know the Bank of America's of, of the world can't. Um, and and I encouraged people when they reached out to me and they expressed interest. I would try to kind of encourage them. Hey, look at these look at these banks. These these are the banks that are more likely to be able to do it. Um, although I will say that a lot of these local banks are becoming stricter during COVID. They become stricter. There's a lot of concern that there might be high foreclosure rates coming up here in uh, in the next year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they have kind of buttoned things down a little bit and kind of taken some measures to just not uh, be careless, as it were, with their money just on every single investment. So all that to be said... There were a litany of reasons why these condos were were very difficult to finance. The first one is that they weren't warrantable. Um, And that doesn't mean that they couldn't get a home warranty. Um, That is a term that is used in the industry that 
basically you can't get a Fanny. It, it doesn't. The condos did not meet Fanny and Freddie's requirements. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac's requirements um, for their types of loans, such as a conventional loan, for instance. Um, and of course, the vast majority of loans are those types of loans that are Fannie or Freddie types of products. And so this was a, a big problem. And and the reason why they weren't warrantable is because Fannie and Freddie have a, a couple of major requirements that condos specifically have to pass in order to qualify for a conventional or an FHA loan. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I probably need to have a, a lender on here explain this. I'm going to explain this to the best of my abilities, but... There might be some very minor details here and there that aren't correct, but I know that the vast majority of this is definitely correct. Um, but the big picture, I'm trying to give you the big picture scope of it. So, and, and I learned a lot through this process, and I'm, I'm just trying to communicate that to you guys. So, they're not, they're, my understanding is that there are two reasons why, two main reasons why these, un, these condos weren't warrantable. One was that the HOA did not have a reserve budget, no reserve budget at all. And there's a long story uh, about that going back to the previous HOA manager that was like embezzling money from the community and all sorts of things. We fired them, uh, hired a, a different uh, HOA manager, and they have done substantially better, now have gotten everyone uh, up to speed in terms of, of being able to, in, in terms of being up to date, I should say, on their payments. Um, and so, uh, whereas the community was not doing very well financially a few years ago, now it's, it's finally in the black, everyone is paying, it's doing much better, but still doesn't have a reserve budget. Um, the requirement for them to be warrantable is at least 10% of the budget has to be committed towards uh, community reserves. So, that was strike number one. Strike number two, in terms of the warrantability conversation, was... Um, I believe that it's about 50%. I think at least 50% of the units, there, there's a 50% number and a 30% number. But regardless, a large percent of, of the community has to be owner-occupied. And this is a community that had like n almost no owner-occupied units. I mean, we're talking about maybe 5% of the units are, are owner-occupied. The rest are just all rental properties. So it was not warrantable uh, because of those two things. Um, but that being said, there are other loan products out there. Like I said, I've gotten them. There are other loan products out there, um, other banks that, that can do what we call portfolio loans, loans that they hold themselves, that they don't care about those things, specifically local banks that understand the market, that are able to drive to the properties, look, lay eyes on the properties themselves, see what's going on, um, have more of, more of a personal touch to it rather than just looking at spreadsheets and just declining on the basis of, of it not fitting the spreadsheet criteria. Um, so there are options. However, a lot of banks that I talked to, and I talked to a ton of banks, and, and my attorney uh, client that attempted to purchase these, I think he also talked to 15 or 20 different banks as well. Um, a lot of banks, even if they weren't concerned about the the warrantable part of it, they still had a an issue with the fact that there was a lack of a reserve fund. They did not like the risk that they felt like they were exposed to if the HOA had any major expenses come up. 
a lot of banks were concerned about that. Um, and that's that's understandable. Um, I would try to explain to them what I just explained to you about the, the past history of the community. But at the end of the day, underwriters underwrite, right? And, and they are the ones that are ultimately just kind of looking at a spreadsheet. And you can tell them stories until you're blue in the face. They don't care. That's not Their job isn't to listen to stories. Their job is to make sure that everything is safe um, and above board. And that was one thing that a lot of underwriters deemed unsafe. Um, additionally, there is an owner in the community that owns roughly 35% of, uh, of the units in that community. And for some banks, that was a, an issue of control, major issue of control. They, they don't want there to be someone that can completely steer the community in one direction or another um, because they might steer the community in a bad direction. Um, even though it, it was kind of a joke because that owner lives in New York and uses the property manager that manages like 80% of the units out there for everything. The property manager handles every single aspect of management for this guy. I, I know this guy. I talked to him. Um, he's angry. He got angry at me that I, I, you know, was listing all these properties for the prices that I did because he wanted to buy more, you know, at, uh, you know, low, you know, <laughs> bargain basement pricing. Um, and I was just like, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm selling these for what the market is. You may have had success in the past with bargain basement pricing in this community, but that's just not the case anymore. Um, and I told him he should go celebrate that I just made all his properties go up in value. Regardless, um, he owns about 35% of the community, but at the end of the day, the property manager who's handling everything manages 80% of the community. So she's the one that has control, right? The banks, whatever, they, they have their system. It's not a common sense. They don't operate on a common sense level. Um, this is just one of their requirements. They didn't like that. All right. So that was strike number three for a lot of banks. Now, as I mentioned, though, there are local banks that are okay, um, that are willing to look past all of these different things because they understand the way the market is, the way the community is, all these different things, are, and they're not as concerned with the risk and they're also planning to to keep the loan themselves. That's another thing. A lot of banks they'll sell their they'll sell loans. You know, um, that's why we have the term portfolio loan. What that means is the bank isn't planning to sell it; they're planning to keep it. That's what a lot of these smaller local banks um, are good at: is that they have a you know a budget for local portfolio loans that they will uh, give to real estate investors and the like. So all that to be said. Uh, there were plenty of local banks that are willing to finance in this community, but they won't finance to an out-of-state buyer. And here's the reason, here is how they explained it to me. They said, if you have a South Carolina LLC and a, a South Carolina bank that doesn't have a presence, you know, outside of the state, basically, you've got a buyer in another state. That is the guarantor of the LLC in South Carolina, but that bank, that the lender, that that buyer in, say, California is trying to use, that bank does not have a branch in California. They do not have 
any business tied to California. Basically, that company in South Carolina, the LLC in South Carolina that is purchasing the property in South Carolina and that is getting the loan from the bank in South Carolina is a pass-through entity. It's being guaranteed. There's the guarantor in California or whatever state you want to say. And if that person defaulted and didn't pay his or her loan, it would be very difficult, basically cost prohibitive, time prohibitive for the South Carolina lender to go after the California guarantor. That is the long story short of it. Um, and trust me, it was a long story. I had, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I had with lenders about all these different things. Um, and so that was something I personally had never run into in my career. I've had plenty of out-of-state uh, buyers before and out-of-state investors, but I've never run into specifically that issue uh, because usually there's multiple different, you know, there might be a lender that declines to to do a loan, but then there's a bunch of other lenders that will do it. Um, but particularly when you've got, these are units that are in good condition, you know, already owner, not owner occupied, already occupied, um, borrower with great credit, money in the bank, great job, all these different things. Um, and banks just not willing to loan because of of all of these different problems. So after multiple contracts fell through on this package of 15 units, I had to go back to the drawing board. And I was just like, what, what am I going to do? Right? Um, I, I really, th there's a, a bit of some, there's obviously complexity to trying to, to do a package like that. Like for instance, there were some sellers that were None of us were exactly motivated because we we're all making money from from these condos while they were not being sold. So it wasn't a big deal if they if it fell through in theory. Um, but at the same time, there were different levels of motivation. I, I wanted the the money for different reasons. You know, some of the other sellers wanted the money for some other reasons. Some of the sellers were just like, you know what? I don't really. I, I'm totally fine keeping these. Um, I'm not motivated at all. It's just, if I can get this top dollar figure, then I'll take it. But if not, then, um, then I'm just gonna sit back and just enjoy the rent that I'm making on these, pro on these units. Um, so it became, it was a little bit difficult when a buyer would come along for the 15 units and say, okay, here's the amount I'm willing to pay. Now, I had to take that and talk to all the different parties to figure out who's getting what. How are we going to split this money up in a, in a way that's fair for everyone? Um, so there was some complexity there. But it was also much simpler than having 15 different listings um, and having to manage all of that. That, that was a disaster. That would have been a disaster. Not to mention that most of these properties had loans on them. And, and of course, if you sell, um, it, for instance, the, the seven that I had, I had two different loans on them. I had uh, on the four units that I owned just entirely myself, I had one loan on those four units. And then on the three units I owned with partners, I had another loan on those three units. Well, if you sell, let's say that I tried to sell one of those units, I would need to be able to pay off the entirety of the loan in order to do that. 
And obviously I could not do that. So I had to sell. I couldn't just sell one here, one there, two here, two there. It had to be the at least the entire package within that entity. The 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 four units that I held in this one LLC that I own, and it has a loan on those four units, I had to sell all of those together. The other three units, I had to sell all of them together. Then I had uh, the seller of six units, I had to sell all of his together. And then another seller of two units, I had to sell all of those together, those two units together. That was the only way to make it work. So what I decided, I'd gotten a, a good bit of feedback from from people calling and asking, you know, hey, would you be able to split off three or four of these or whatever? And it was like, well, yes, in theory, I could, but we're really trying to sell these all as a package. We've got a ton of interest in them as a package. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, after now multiple times of contracts falling through and just all of the all of the work that was put in that just resulted in nothing. I had n- basically nothing except for, you know, earnest money that was forfeited at the beginning um, that we were able to to get. Outside of, of that, I had nothing to show f- for a, a tremendous amount of work. And so going back to the drawing board, I decided and, and I obviously talked to the sellers and said, you know, hey, I think our best bet here, people know that there's a package of condos out here. So I've already marketed all of that. But I think our best bet is to split these up. And, you know, I can still co-market them, but we need to to open up the field to more of these local buyers. Because that's the thing is that I was getting so many calls from people out of state and they needed to finance and they couldn't. And all the local buyers, for the most part that I was talking to, they were looking for a smaller package. And so that was what I had to do. So so I, I created four different listings instead of the one. The sellers of the two units, they backed out. They decided, you know what, we don't want to sell, at least not until next year for capital gains purposes. Fine. I picked up, though, another seller uh, of four units. So I went from 15 units to 17 units I was selling. So I had a package of four, another package of four, a package of three, and a package of six. All of these... I listed basically at the same time. And I figured that there would be, I I already knew there was going to be a lot of demand. And boy, was there. (laughs) Um, Because not only did I get all all the people that were interested in getting the 17 units in their entirety, I also got all the people interested in the three units and the four units and and the six. Um, And so the floodgates opened and... It was nuts. My wife joked. Um, it, it was it was a half joke, probably more like a quarter joke um, or a or a, a tenth joke that it was like a second full time job, just those listings. And I mean, yeah, it it was. I mean, I I'm I didn't ever like quantify how much time I spent um, trying to just having conversations with people about those condos, like responding to emails, responding to text messages, but it was easily 25 to 30 hours per week. At least it was, I had to to dedicate at least three to four hours per day just for that. It was nuts. Um, 
I had a conversation, you know, I was trying to talk to my mom one afternoon and literally during a one hour conversation with my mom, I got interrupted. It was either three, maybe four times people calling every one of them about these condo packages. And that was after they had been on the market for weeks. That's the uh, that's uh, the crazy thing about it. But everyone wanted to finance them. So I had to have lengthy discussions with the realtors, lengthy discussions with the loan officers, trying to explain all the reasons why these were tricky uh, to finance. Because at the end of the day, I didn't want to get these under contract and have the contracts fall through. Again, that's so much work for everyone. And if you have inspectors going through, you have appraisers going through, that's a disturbance to the tenants. Tenants do not like that. And I, and I did get complaints. The property manager did c- communicate some complaints from some of the tenants about this. Um, and so that was, uh, that was problematic as well. Um, so we were trying to avoid that. So honestly, we had multiple full price offers that... I recommended to my clients, and they took my advice, that we declined because when I vetted out the buyer, when I vetted out the loan officer, I was not confident that it would get to closing. Um, We had one person that, uh, that insisted that they could buy the package of four with four individual conventional loans. And I was like, no, you cannot get conventional loans on these. Like, what don't you understand about that? Um... And, you know, it, it was just sometimes I, I felt like I had to, you know, I, I don't know, have like a, a class, just like teach a class to, and just have a bunch of realtors in there sit down and, and me be like, here, okay, here are all the interested parties in these condos. Let me explain to you why you cannot get conventional loans on these. Um, people didn't understand. They didn't understand. They thought they could just package together some of them. They could just package these together as conventional loans. You can't do that. You can't. These are individually deeded condos. You can't just package together, uh, you know, a bunch of condos under one conventional loan. If it was a quadruplex, you could, but that's not that's not what we were talking about here. Um, and so it was a very unique deal because usually, you know, when you're trying to sell something. The, usually the seller is at least somewhat motivated, but this was a situation where none of the sellers were really motivated. So it was like, here we go. We have these condos out here. If you want them, you pretty much have to pony up at least close to a full price offer. If you know, we had people for the one package of four that was listed for three hundred thousand. Someone came with a two hundred ninety thousand dollar offer, declined, declined. Why? Why? Why take less than what you're asking? When you're in a position to, you know, you're getting rent. You're getting consistent rent coming through. And you're not in a position where you desperately need the cash. Why uh, why not hold out for the full price? And so um, my clients, I, you know, I didn't get frustrated with them. A lot of listing agents would get frustrated with their clients over that. Like, this is close to a full price offer. But we had that understanding on the front end that, no, we're going we're gonna to hold out. And usually you can't do that. That's the thing, right? Usually, let's say that you list a house um, tomorrow and, you know, you list it for the top of the market and it doesn't sell. And a month or two months later, it still hasn't sold. Three, four months later, it still hasn't sold. You're probably going to have to lower the price in order to to get some activity on it. Um, 
that's not what we have to do in the multifamily world because there is there are so few, and we've talked about this before, but the inventory in multifamily is so low that you can literally just sit there. And eventually, it, uh, unless there's something really wrong with the property, eventually a buyer will come along. Um, and so that's what that's what we did. We just sat there and eventually the buyers came. And, and uh, uh, like I said, it would take a long process. We, we might... I might have someone reach out to me and say, hey, I want to make a full price offer on these. And it'd be like, okay, well, who's your lender? Um, they're going to use Wells Fargo. No, no, you, you're not going to use Wells Fargo. Like, don't, I, I'll present the offer. Obviously, I'm legally responsible to present your offer if you want to make an offer. But I'm telling you right now, I'm. we've had other contracts fall through due to financing. And my buyer has expressed my sorry, my seller client has expressed um, that he's going to be extremely cautious in terms of the next one that he sells, and he uh, in in terms of the next contract that he accepts, um, and he wants me to vet out every single loan officer, and I don't think Wells Fargo is going to make the cut, and so I had to have these uh, I had to have these conversations. So it would take from the time I first started talking to someone at least a week, oftentimes closer to two weeks before we would actually even be able to determine whether they could make an offer or not, like an offer that that might be accepted. Um, and so it's very, very interesting, very unique. Um, in, in the real estate world, we always talk about not making verbal offers. But with this type of a deal, that's really how it had to, to come together because so much of it had to be done verbally. And let's just say I'm, I made my commissions. Uh, I earned my commissions uh, selling these. I mean, like I said, a ton of work, ton of work. I, I'm definitely getting paid minimum wage for my commissions on, on these properties, let me tell you. Um, but that's fine. It, it It's supposed to balance out. It hasn't balanced out this year, necessarily. I, I feel like, um, you know, I've, I've definitely worked for my listings and, and for all of my clients this year. This has been a, been a crazy year from that standpoint. Um, but I'm also in this to work, so I'm not going to complain about that. I'm happy, I'm happy for the work. Um, so, so we finally started to get these under contract, and uh, it started with um, with my four units, and then the the package of six. Um, those were the first two to go under contract. They went under contract almost right away, and that was an interesting thing that I saw happen as well. Is that it seemed like a lot of people were. Their uh, the level of due diligence that they had to do, or I would call it pre due diligence, right? Because they weren't uh, they weren't yet under contract during a due diligence period. Um, but it seemed like what would happen is when these came on the market, it was like there would be a few weeks of everyone inquiring and doing their homework and whatnot, and then all of a sudden, after like multiple weeks of these being on the market, we would get multiple offers, <laughs> and that that was what made it. Again, unlike any other type of, of real estate transaction I've done, like if you get multiple offers, it's it's almost always in the first few days. But with these, it, it they might be on the market for three weeks, and then all of a sudden we get three offers from multiple different parties on them. It was very uh, extremely uh, unusual, but an interesting process to watch. Um, so finally, in the last few weeks, 10 of the units have closed. Three of the units, the the other three that I own partially, um, those are set to close on Thursday. I'm recording this on November 30th. Those are supposed to close on December 2nd. 
Um, and then the other four units I have listed are supposed to close early January. We'll see about that one. That one, um, I, I talked to the appraiser recently. He did not inspire much confidence. Um, that The appraiser was a complete, complete disaster on multiple levels. Did not sound like he knows what he's doing. So uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I tried, I tried to help him out uh, as much as possible, but you can only do so much. Um, the, uh, oh, I, I should, I should mention, I, I don't think I mentioned this on, on the, the kind of part one of this, uh, my episode 71 or 72, whatever it was on the 15 unit package. Um, but there was a guy that was just going back and forth. Like we had an extremely long email thread going back and forth with this realtor. And I was having to do it. He's not even a local realtor. Like he's technically licensed in South Carolina, but he doesn't live in Greenville. So technically he can get a commission, but at the same time for, for bringing a buyer, but at the same time I have to do basically all the work for him. And I was trying to, I was, I was legitimately trying to, but it just got to a point where the questions were ridiculous. And and I alluded to this a little bit on my novice investor episode. Um, but ultimately, I just said to the guy, hey, listen, I don't think that this this deal is the right fit for your client. Like, yeah, I, I'm totally respectful for a novice investor. But these questions are ridiculous. Like, you're asking the condition of, like, the fence in the back. Like, I don't know what the condition of the fence is in the back. Nobody uses those fences. Um, and and that was uh, that was a big takeaway for me, just kind of in general. Um, there is, I, I can understand now, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the shoulder, but I can understand now why I get pretty much weekly calls from people looking for a realtor that can help them with real estate investing. Because... Those that are out there, listen, there's so much more money to be made uh, as a realtor just in normal retail real estate, um, just helping people buy and sell the house that they're planning to live in um, because there's not a lot of investment properties for sale right now. And so at the end of the day, there's not a lot of realtors that have specialized in that because there's no money to be made there in theory, in theory, right? Um, now I've figured out how to how to make money in that, um, which I'm not going to bore you guys with all, all of the ins and outs of that. But um, but that's not a niche that most people want to be in because who wants to sell fifty thousand dollar houses or, or in these cases condos that you know some of these condos were for was sold for like sixty thousand. So that's something uh, that I learned is I understand now. I mean I had to I had to. And, and I was happy to, I, I don't, I wasn't frustrated with it, but I had to really try to educate these realtors. And some of them were resistant to that. And others were like, Hey, they were just honest. They're like, Hey, I'll just be honest. I don't really know anything about multifamily. So any insight you can share, um, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to hear. I want to learn in this process. And I appreciated that. I, I appreciated the ones that were, that were honest because I could tell, I could, I could identify, I could sniff it out right away. If there was a realtor that did not know what he or she was doing, listen, that was obvious in the first five minutes that I talked to him. Um, so the ones that just admitted it and admitted that they wanted to learn, that was, you know, a breath of fresh air. Um, 
I also learned that um, you need to really part of of real estate investing is really thinking clearly. And I've I've always done this, but I think I'm going to do this even more about the exit strategy. And even if you're you're in your mind, your thought is, well, I'm just going to hold this forever. Um, I'm never going to sell this property. You still need to have at least a theoretical theoretical exit strategy because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, is it likely that climate change is going to cause houses on the beach uh, to get washed away because of rising sea levels? I don't know. You probably need to factor that in, though, as part of your exit plan that you have if you buy a beachfront property. Like, that's a worthy consideration. Um, you need to, a, a good investor thinks about all of those little details. And so I think in the future, I'm, I'm definitely not going to avoid condos. These condos were a fantastic investment for me. I mean, the package of four, I bought, I bought that package, uh, originally for 158,000. I sold it for 340. Now, of course, there is a lot of, you know, r- repairs and renovations we had to do, but I also got rental income during that time period. The package of three um, that I'm uh, selling, hopefully on Thursday, selling for two thirty. I bought those for ninety eight thousand originally. Again, great investment, and they made tons of money. They were cash cows while I had them. Um, but I understand now. I, now I've seen uh, it was honestly difficult to sell these, and that's just something I'm going to keep in mind in the future, thinking about how much difficulty might I have? What are the possibilities that this property, if I purchase, you know, whatever properties I purchase in the future, if I plan to hold it long term, I shouldn't just ignore the the fact that it might be difficult to sell. That is an, that is an, an immensely important detail that now I understand I need to think a little bit different. It's not it's not a detail that I completely ignored before, but now it's a detail that is kind of front and center in my mind. Um, and so, long story short, it was a great experience. I learned a lot from it. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It was It's another notch on my uh, real estate belt. It's another notch on my investing belt. I, I'm proud of those things, and I'm thankful for the opportunities. I mean, I, my initial purchase in this community I, was kind of lucky. Like, I didn't want to buy in this community, but I didn't have any other... I I wanted to get into real estate investing. And, you know, it it just made sense. Um, There weren't other options available that I was interested in. Um, And so it just kind of happened that way. And now all these years later, here I am saying, it was a great investment. I've exited that community. I've got other, um, other things I'm doing with that capital. And I'm happy. I'm happy with it. I'm happy with how it turned out. And, uh, and I learned a lot in the process of buying, owning, and selling those units. So I hope you guys learned a lot as well. Thank you for listening uh, to me ramble, as I always do. And, uh, and again, if you haven't subscribed to the show, please hit that subscribe button. I appreciate if you guys can leave a rating, leave a review, download episodes, all of those good things. All of my contact information is in the show notes. I hope... You guys have a great rest of the week. Wish me luck. If you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday morning of this week, 
December 1st or 2nd, wish me luck. I'm supposed to be at the closing table, signing documents at 1 p.m., selling off three more of these units. So please wish me luck. I hope you guys have luck in your real estate ventures as well. Have a great rest of the week.